I'm your host, Vic Choksi, and this is Victory Lab. The premise behind Victory Lap is simple. It's to have on luminaries from the sports, entertainment, and media worlds to talk about their journey, and most notably, one victory that helped them reach their goal. On today's episode, I speak with Michael Talasian, director of Once Brothers and Q-Ball. Mike has been in the sports landscape for a long time now, and his story about how he became a filmmaker is a fun one, so I hope you guys enjoy. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, no problem, man. It's great to connect. I appreciate you reaching out and watching some of my films and uh, happy to happy to talk about them. First and foremost, man, how are you and your family doing during these crazy times right now? Yeah, you know, like uh, probably a lot of people just just trying to get through it and navigate each day, day to day. Got a wife and two teenage daughters and uh, it's not easy, man. Emotionally, it's it's everyone seems to get hit on a different day and feeling down or so much uncertainty. And but overall, we're really fortunate. Our thoughts go out to a lot of people that have gotten laid off or gotten sick or lost loved ones uh, from from the epidemic. And uh, I don't know, I'm just uh, hoping that uh, we can uh, continue to improve the numbers each month and slowly and safely get back to to life and people can get back to work and get hired and live sports can come back. And and but uh, it's it's hasn't been easy. Like you said, we can only hope for things to get better soon, man. It's fun just talking to you today, get a little bit of normalcy feeling, right? I feel like, you know, just being in the house cooped up a little bit is tough too. So I think people are reaching out more. I know I've tried to reach out to a lot of people I haven't spoken to in a while, college buddies and cousins and family. And uh, so I hope some good comes out of all this as far as our perspective on things and family time and, and all that, but we'll see. Let's talk about your journey a little bit, man. That's what this podcast is about. You know, for you, when did you know you wanted to become a director? Is that, you know, something that goes back to when you were growing up or, you know, just talk me through it a little bit. You know, I was always super creative as a kid. I always like loved to draw and do cartoons and artwork. And and then when video cameras started coming out, I remember it's probably in junior high. I got a bunch of my friends together and there was a park that had like eight foot rims and I staged our own dunk contest, you know, oh, nice. like suburban white kids, like doing <laughs> dunks on the eight foot rim. But I, you know, I had watched the dunk contest, the NBA dunk contest. And so uh, I got the camera out and I filmed it and then I edited it and put music to it. And so, you know, at that point I didn't say like, Oh, I want to be a director. I just knew I enjoyed the creative outlet, but at the same time, you know, my dad was a, was a child of the depression. And so he was super practical and you got to get a job and, you know, so there were two forces I was dealing with, you know, and so when I was graduating college, I went to Cornell upstate and that practical side of me, I studied economics, going to try to get a job at a bank or wall street, but my heart wasn't really in it. It was more in being creative. I love sports. And so a friend of mine uh, worked in television in Boston and I asked him, Hey, I mean, do you know anyone in television, you know? And he had a friend at the time that worked for the NBA at NBA Entertainment. And so when I was going down to New York for job interviews, like on Wall Street and, you know, stuff like that, I was able to set up an interview at NBA Entertainment. And there was probably only 20 people that worked there at the time. I remember one of the questions was, name the starting five of the Dallas Mavericks. I was <laughs> This is one of the interview questions. And uh, I think I, I think I got like four out of the five. So I did. <laughs> and um, they just happened to have an opening for a, 
like a logger, like a production assistant logger. It paid like $16,000 a year. But, you know, I was like, what? You know, I get to work for the NBA. And so I, I took the job and my dad, you know, he, I don't think he loved the idea, but, you know, he supported me and knew my heart was in it. And that's kind of kind of how I started. Um, was working at NBA Entertainment. This was like 1990. So this was like the Bird and Magic era was still kind of around. Yep. But Jordan was starting to break through. You know, he was, I think it was before his first championship, but the league was really getting very popular. And uh, they had started that show, um, Inside Stuff. It just Yep. I, I love that show, man. Yeah. So I worked on that show for like five years from the very start. That used to be my Saturdays is like watch Saved yeah. by the Bell and then NBA Inside Stuff. No doubt, man. So I did, when I started, I was just a logger. I would literally put tapes in. The NBA would record all the, every game that was played, they record and they'd send tapes to our office. And as loggers, we would pop the tapes in and we literally watch the games and just log them and put like, okay, at eight minutes in on this tape, you know, Dominique Wilkins reverse dunk, you know, and you would star it and describe it. And it got you to thinking, you know, what makes a good highlight and why? And already you start to think about the stories you could tell. And then the producers would use these logs. Like if they were doing a Dominique Wilkins feature, they could just plug those into the computer and all the great highlights would come up and they could just pull those tapes. And I got to log like the Celtics because I, I grew up in Boston. So yep. huge Celtics fan and uh, the Hawks and uh, I think it was the Jazz. I mean, I can't remember all the teams, but it was pretty cool. No, that's great. That's a great origin story. How how different was technology back then compared to now? It was, yeah, it was huge. It was all analog. You know, we had these yeah. three quarter inch tapes. I mean, this was even before beta. And you just take the tape and it would have a number and you pop it in. And basically you would just press play and it would have the counter, you know, the old counter that would just click through. And you would you see a highlight, you pause it. You write down the time and then there was a star system and you tell what angle it was. So, but it was on physical tape that you pop the tape out, you check it off if you logged it and there was this library and they would put all the tapes up on these shelves. And whenever the producer wanted something, he would go pull the tape off, cue it up, lay it off. And now it's all digitized and everything, but it was a good way to learn. I mean, I didn't mind the process at all. Yeah. Those are the days though, man. Kids nowadays have no clue. Like, all the stuff that we went through like with technology, even the library, Dewey Decimal System, like those are the times. All, all that. Let, let's fast forward a little bit then to like documentaries, right? Like how did you get into that? How did, yeah. you know, once brothers or just in general, how did that all come about? Yeah. So like I said, I worked at the NBA for about five years and working on inside stuff was great because the show was every week. So I was producing. So I worked my way up. I learned, I taught myself what was cool at the time was the NBA where I worked had all this equipment, they had cameras, they had editing facilities, they had all the tapes. So I would, at night after my shift, I would just lay off highlights and did and put music in. I would, I learned to edit and cut and on my own and I would show it to the producers like, Oh wow, that's pretty good. And they would mentor me. And, um, so then when, when Inside Stuff started, they said, hey, Mike, why don't you, they kind of got promoted through my work. And I was pretty much editing and producing features and jam session and rewind. I was doing that week and week and week. So like every week I was cutting something new. So I was just, uh, my learning curve was like crazy and I was getting better and better and better each week. So I had a, it was a great opportunity and I seized it. And then 
But after about five years, I was, I wanted to learn more about filmmaking. So I applied to film schools and I ultimately went out to California, went to USC film school and I learned how to write screenplays and, you know, learn how to work with actors and direct and learned a ton about story structure and, you know, storytelling and made a bunch of short films there. Some were documentary, some were scripted, you know, but I really dove all the way in and, and sharpened my skills there. And then when I graduated, I stayed in LA for a little while, you know, trying to make it, you know, in Hollywood and writing scripts and had yeah. some ups and downs, some success, but nothing ever really clicked. And I had a ton of student loans to pay off. So my old comrades at the NBA said, Hey, come, why don't you come back? We could use you on this show. So I moved back to New Jersey, just started freelancing. I set up my own production company and then I'd work for the NBA. I worked for the NHL. I did stuff for HBO. I, you know, I just freelanced. Um, I was at the NBA. I think I was working on like a Celtics show. This was shortly after they had won. They had beaten the Lakers in like 2007, uh, 2007 I think maybe. Um, and then ESPN had started talking about 30 for 30s and they were reaching out yep. to the league, the NFL, the NBA. And at the time I had heard about it and the NBA had started shooting some stuff on Drazen Petrovic. They didn't, quite know what they were going to do with it, but they had started reaching out, filming some stuff. And then when the 30 for 30s came out, the NBA started pitching ESPN on different topics. And, and one of them was kind of draws in. And then uh, they asked me my thoughts and I said, Hey, that that's cool. But what if we expanded it and made it more about what happened in Yugoslavia and base it on the relationship between Vlade and draws. And then you can tell almost a bigger story, but you can still get draws kind of what happened to draws into it. Because earlier, like in the late 90s, I had done a lot of shoots in Sacramento with the Kings and got to know Vlade pretty well. The NBA had done a short, like a six-minute feature on the Civil War in Yugoslavia. And I had remembered that feature. It was really good. And I said, hey, this, this could be – if we get Vlade's participation and Draza's family, the story of these two brothers, per se, friends. And I knew the NBA had all this awesome – footage of both Drazen and Vlade um, in their archives. And so we pitched that. I wrote up a treatment and we pitched it to ESPN and they liked it. And the NBA hired me to direct it. And the rest is history. You know, to me, that honestly speaking is my favorite 30 for 30. And I I think for me, it hit a couple of different ways. I love Drazen growing up. He was like a a baller that I looked up to. I loved his game, his Mm -hmm. story. I love Tony Kukoc because he was on the Bulls. And when I was in eighth grade, I actually remember all of this stuff kind of happening in the world. And at that time, you're young, too young to understand everything. But it was just like a very like, I don't know, point in my life where I started to like kind of understand things. And it all happened at that time. And a couple of guys that I loved. And that's what kind of attracted me to watch it. And, you know, I've seen it a couple of times since. And it's, it's great, man. So... Thank you for putting it out. How hard was it to like put it all together where you kind of had to get these different point of views and then tell, you know, a bigger story and then tell Drazen's story? Yeah, it was, um, it was challenging because I didn't know, you know, I'm a little bit of a history buff, but I didn't really know. I mean, I remember we had a professor, he's actually in the film from Columbia University. He was a professor of like Eastern Europe. He came in to our office and basically gave us like a lecture the whole day about the history of Yugoslavia and Serbia and Croatia and, and, and the tensions over the years. So it gave us some sense of, of what had gone on there and kind of those deep seated kind of tensions and the ups and downs and communism and the fall of communism. But 
I, when I wrote the treatment, I knew I wanted to do more than just sit Vladi down for three hours and interview him in a chair. Yeah. I had this idea of him retracing the steps of his life to try to go on this journey to figure out what happened. And um, he was all for it. He's like, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to, to, to Serbia with you. I'll do whatever you want. I mean, he, he really wanted to tell the story. I think he had been holding it in for a lot of years. And I think he saw the making of the film as his opportunity to maybe face some demons and to kind of sure. hurt some feelings that had been built up and kind of reconcile while he couldn't reconcile with physically with Drazen because Drazen had passed away. At least he could with his Drazen's mom and brother and kind of, you know, get that weight off his shoulders. Um, so once I knew he was on board and we got the budget and we had, like I said, we had already had good relationship with Drazen's mom and brother. They love Drazen. Like Drazen's like a God there, you know, in yeah. Croatia and his parents, his brother, he's held in such esteem and that the love for him and admiration is so huge that any opportunity for them to get his story out, um, they were they were willing to do so. I knew I had a great story. I knew I had the participation of the key people. Yeah, so I was psyched, but at the same time, I was like, "Man, the pressure is on now because now I I just don't want to f this up." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the making of it was uh, we went over there and to a place, a part of the country I'd never been to. It was a moving experience to meet all the people, um, to feel the presence over there when when Vladi went went to Croatia and. Um, I still, to this day, I mean, that film has been out oh, about 10 years now. I still get emails, uh, DMs from people all over the world, like especially from the part of the country, saying how moved they are by the film, the emotions. They use it, and people use it in history classes to get kids interested in history and, and that history from that part of the world. They use the basketball hook. That's great. So it definitely has struck, you know, struck a chord with a lot of people. And I think with all of my films, I really try to make them emotional, like not just interesting or entertaining. I want you to like, I want you to feel it in your throat. You know what I mean? That's what I've noticed with, you know, all the stuff of yours that I've seen going back to the basketball piece of it, man, I would have loved to see that whole squad together against USA. You know, that would, that's always something I think about. Yeah, there's that one segment in Once Brothers where where the, the Yugoslavian team is playing together and they had Drazen and Vlade and Tony and Dino Raja. Dino Raja, yep. You know, Jarko Pospai. All these guys made it to the NBA. Yeah. Um, Stojko Vrankovic, who played for the Celtics. Like, And you could see the, they had been playing together since they were like teenagers. So they even, I think Dino says like, we knew what we were doing without even communicating at all, without even saying anything. We knew where we would be. So all those passes and the way they shared the ball was like unbelievable. Exactly. That chemistry from that. I always think about that, man. Like I've seen it a couple of times. I always think about just the chemistry they had and how it would have been against team USA. Like that would have yeah, been. Yeah. I mean, look at was team USA more talented individual by individual. No question. Of course. Right? The dream team won probably. Yeah. But but the dream team was just thrown together, you know, for a short period of time. These guys in Yugoslavia played together, you know, years and years and years. So they could make up some of that gap in talent just from the chemistry. I think they probably, without question, would have gave the dream team the, the toughest test. Croatia gave them a pretty good test. Yep. I think if it was all of the Yugoslavia, not just Serbia and Croatia, then it would have even been closer. 
fast forward a little bit, you know, let's touch on cue ball. I actually just watched it. Uh, another excellent sports doc you put together. How did that whole thing come about? Yeah. So, um, in 2013, I moved out to the San Francisco Bay area with my family. I, I got a job opportunity at the uh, PAC 12 network. This is, I'd never lived out here. And there were times when you, I would drive, be drive right past San Quentin. I mean, when you go over the Richmond bridge up here, you literally drive right past San Quentin. And I was like, San Quentin, like, you know, <laughs> that's one of the most iconic or infamous penitentiaries in the world. You know, yep. you know, Charles Manson was there and it's still the same structure as it was originally built. It's the oldest prison in California and that's where death row is um, in California. So I was super like, uh, you know, looking at it, I was like, wow, what, what is it like in there? And then I, I had read an article about the sports programs and, and San Quentin is very progressive as far as re- using rehabilitation. So it's obviously part punishment, but they also try to rehabilitate the, the inmates that have shown a desire to improve their lives and, and get out. Um, and they use sports as a big part. It's like an incentive. You know, if you want to play sports and be part of a team, you got to like, you know, get your stuff together. So yep. like a first step in improving your life and learning responsibility and teamwork and some of those basic lessons that we all need in our life and in our jobs and with our family. So I was like, wow, basketball is like rehabilitation and in this infamous, you know, prison. And then I heard, which was the kicker, was that the Golden State Warriors, they had this informal outreach where once a year, the coaches and the front office staff and some of the players would go into San Quentin to meet with the inmates who played on the team. And then the coaches like Steve Kerr and Mark Jackson and uh, Luke Walton, when he was with them, Wayne, and they played a pickup game against the, the, the San Quentin team, which were called the San Quentin Warriors. Yeah. Um, I was like, wow, there's, there's definitely a story here. And then we were able to get in touch with, with the head of the, PR person at, at St. Quentin, Sam Robinson, and we pitched him our idea. He let us come in and film for a couple of days. Uh, I did a few interviews. We shot some of the basketball and then I put together a, like I call it a sizzle reel. It's like a, it was like a six minute trailer for what the project could be. You got to meet some of the guys and see what the program is about, put a treatment together. And then we shopped it around to, you know, all the networks and streaming sites. And to be honest, it almost happened and it didn't happen. It almost happened. It didn't happen. And we kind of were about to give up on it. And then um, I had heard Fox sports had this new documentary series called magnify, which is all about how sports can impact communities and uh, really shed a light on the cultural things. Not just looking back, you know, not like once brothers where you just look back at a story that's 20 years old, more of like a contemporary story where it shows sports really impacting people's lives. And so it fit right into the mantra of what that series was about it, they liked it. And then we were able to get Kevin Durant, who at the time was with the Warriors and had gone to San Quentin as part of their outreach. And he had just started producing, executive producing content. And him and his business partner, uh, Rich Kleiman, loved it. And they signed on. And then we were off and running. No, that's great. I, I loved how you kind of intertwined basketball, the Warriors, kind of the story of the inmates, the program, the rehabilitation aspect of it. Like, and this is just me personally speaking as someone who just saw it, like that's a different world to me, right? Like I, I knew nothing about the prison system, rehab. You hear San Quentin, you're like, man, that's the, the worst place in the world. They probably all are in a hole. Like you don't, you know, those are just some general things that you think about. And I love, I forget his name, the Lieutenant, uh, 
Sam Robinson, yeah. Yeah, he, he was great, man. And like very well-spoken, soft-spoken dude. But I loved how at the end he was just like, you know, a lot of these people are going to come out. Do you want them coming out for the better? Or, or do you want them just being in a hole and, and being the way that they are, right? And that's something that really struck a chord with me, you know, outside of the basketball stuff. Uh, so I love how you kind of put that all together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what started is just a story about kind of basketball. Once we got in and saw what was really happening there and, and saw how open the, the guys were about their lives and what they went through and the crimes they committed and why and how they're trying to change. And then how St. Quentin is trying to use basketball and education, and a lot of these other programs to help these guys. Cause like Sam says in Cal in the state of California, 90% of guys that are in prison are going to get out at some point. Yep. Do you want them to come out like what more well adjusted to know what they did, who they are, what they want to be and have some skill sets like job skills and education where they can actually come out and get a job? Or do you want them to be coming out more angry, more screwed up in the head? And they're, I mean, cause they're going to be passing you on the street. They're going to be living next to you maybe who knows. So wherever you fall, as far as what you believe, the fact is that a lot of guys are going to get out. So what, how do we do that? That's the great thing about basketball, man. Like it brings people together from, all walks of life, you know, like, like we're talking about people are playing in Europe, they're playing, you know, rich, poor, white, black, Indian, you know, Asian, whatever, like basketball, whatever our life experience is basketball, when you're on that court, it's just me and you competing. So like in prison, you have these guys that grew up on the mean streets of LA or Oakland, and then they're playing with these Silicon Valley hedge fund guys that come yeah. in play and, and they're like, Hey, I'm not all that different. Like we both love hoops and they're talking about LeBron and KD and it breaks things down and it makes you see people as people. So I think that's one of the, one of the great things about sports in general, but I think basketball even more so. Exactly. That, that was great, man. I mean, me and you were talking because of sports, all my friends in life, I think are because of basketball and sports. So uh, I agree. Um, how much of a role did KD have in, in kind of putting the doc together? Yeah, well, they were super supportive. Obviously, I mean, Katie, Katie loves, I mean, the game of basketball has been so instrumental in his life. So anything that can celebrate the game and, and show how it's, it can be a positive force, he's behind. So um, like I said, he had gone to San Quentin. I think it had moved, it was moving experience for him. So he came on board and he just gave us a lot of support. He just kind of talked about what he loved about going to San Quentin the things that resonated with him and some of the themes he hoped would be in the film. And then when we started uh, editing, we would show him and, and Rich rough cuts and they would like give us some feedback of what they liked or what they thought was too long or what they wanted to see more of. But it was always very supportive. It was never like, you have to do this, you have to do that. They just were just like a sounding board. And then when it was finished, uh, they were super Katie and his team were super supportive as far as getting word out. They used, you know, he used all his social media outlets, you know, inter, um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to kind of yep. say, hey, you guys got to check this out. Um, he came to the film premiere at the San Francisco Film Festival. And so it was like, it was a great experience to work with those guys. Sad to see him leave the Bay Area. but uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. A couple more quick questions about just you. Like, what's your favorite part about being a director? Uh, my favorite part is just the collaboration. I love working with, you know, the, 
you know, the other producers and the editors and, and the directors of photography and the PAs and then uh, the subjects. Like I got to know all these, you know, not only like with Lottie and Drazen's family was awesome, but like at San Quentin, I got to meet, you know, the, the inmates, the, the prison guards, the, the staff to, to connect with them and build relationships and then to have our crew work with them. We even interviewed one of the victims, uh, the mother of one of the victims of the crime that happened, which we tried to show that side. So it was good to, to meet her and to hear what her family went through and the difficulties. Yeah. It's like you're going on this crazy journey and you're meeting all these people and you're sharing ideas and it's all for the purpose of making the best film possible. And anyone can have a great idea. It doesn't always have to come from the director. It could come from the lowest person on the crew, you know, the PA or the person that's delivering the food or whatever. And so I try to really embrace all that and make everyone feel part of it. And that's why it's so rewarding. That's great. Any quick advice you can give to someone that's trying to make it in the industry, very young people? First of all, you, you know, you have to be self-aware. You know, I think, you know, people say, oh, I want to be a, an actor or a movie star or director. Like, that's great. And I encourage people to pursue that. But you also got to be self-aware. Like, do I have the talent? Do I have the skill? If people said like, hey, dude, you're really good at this. Like, you should pursue it. So I think you want to be honest with yourself. But second, if that's the case, then now with the technology, anyone can go out with their, you know, with their phones can make a movie, right? And just like I did with that video, that slam dunk video with my friends in junior high, like go yeah. out, make, shoot stuff, edit it on your on your um, laptop or your phone. And now you can distribute it. I mean, you can put it on, you know, TikTok and, and Instagram and all these things and you never know who you might see. So just keep making stuff and get better and get, the more you do, get better and better and better and better. Pull highlights, highlights off YouTube and edit them to music. Um, and then, then reach out to anyone who might know somebody in the business. Try to get internships, even if they're not paid. And then when you have those internships, Talk to your boss and say, hey, look at this video I just put together. What do you think? And if they think it's really good, they might offer you a job, just like when I was at the NBA and they let me work on inside stuff. So you got to hustle and you got to want it. It's not, it's very competitive business. And, but if you hustle and you have the talent and you have a few connections, you know, you might get, you might get somewhere. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great advice. Looking back on it all, is there one moment or one victory you can think of, small or big, that help you get to where you are today? Yeah, I think it was that, you know, I think it was when I was a logger at the NBA and I, I had edited like a three minute video of like dunks. I think I called it like a dunkumentary or something like that. Yeah. And I showed it to my boss and he thought it was really great. And then when inside stuff happened, he was like, hey, I want you to go do your first shoot. And I remember I went to Texas interviewed Larry Johnson. Grandma Ma, I loved him. So I, I was a young kid and I did, I sat down, I interviewed, I directed the shoot and I came back and edited it. But that never would have happened if I hadn't been proactive and worked on those videos and had something to show my boss. And there was evidence that I could do it. Now, was that first feature the best feature I ever did? No, but, but I learned and it turned out pretty well. It aired on Inside Stuff and I was like, I was through the moon. That's great. Any projects you're working on coming up? Yeah, well, now I work, um, my, my main staff job now is at Fox Sports after I did cue ball for Fox. Nice. Uh, opening there, uh, one of their, my predecessor went on to Netflix and there was an opening for someone to kind of really oversee all their original content. And uh, I, it was a great opportunity. My boss, Charlie Dixon, and I had worked together years before at ESPN and um, 
So uh, I was like, yeah, I'm in. And, and so now I kind of oversee um, all the original content, the documentaries, the shows. Um, we just, our past one, we did one called The Great Brady Heist. It was about Tom Brady's jersey getting stolen at the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, now, so I kind of oversee a lot of that. And then on the side, I just continue to work on screenplays and on my own things. And, you know, I'm a filmmaker at heart. I'm not an executive. Um, yeah. But again, I love working with uh, other people. I love working with other directors and filmmakers and production companies and then share, share my knowledge and experience to try to help them make the best film that they can. Yep. I, I love it, man. And thank you for your time and your, in your journey. I hope it's inspirational people. It definitely was for me before we go, I always do a quick little rapid Q and a, whatever yeah. comes, comes to your head. You got to answer. Uh, no hesitation. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. Best pizza, Chicago or New York, New York. Like I lived in Hoboken, New Jersey, and like the pizza there is just, you know, Benny Tadino's. That's my spot. Uh, all right, fair. If you come here, we'll we'll go out to a couple spots and then cool. we can read Yeah, I don't I need I need more Chicago reference. I mean I've had a few, yeah. but I need the real good stuff. Greatest player of all time, NBA. Uh Larry Bird, that's my guy. All right, fair, because you're from there. How, where's Jordan ranked then for you? He's probably two. Okay. Yeah. There's a little home cooking there, to be honest, but hey, I grew that- Watching the Celtics and yeah, hey, I can't I can't knock you on that favorite show of all time. Sanford and Son. Oh, I love that show growing up. My dad used to love that show, man. Uh, favorite movie of all time. Uh, One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, okay, old school. Uh, last, 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 super last question. Craziest thing ever happened to you during filming? I would say at San Quentin, pretty early in our shoot, and you know when we were filming, we're out in the main yard. It's this huge yard with like. There's, there's probably 1,500 uh, inmates in the yard playing sports, hanging out. Um, but this is a level three yard. So the, the inmates are um, the incarcerated people there are, are, are free to just, you know, do go by their business. They're able to kind of come up to us and say, hey, what are you guys filming and, and stuff like that, which was very cool. But we had a, a, an official with us, but we didn't have like armed guards with us or anything. I mean, they sure. were guards in the towers. So it was a little, you know, it took a little while to get used to it. And, but very quickly you get, you get very uh, comfortable. And then I, I had to use the, the restroom and in the yard, they just have kind of these like troughs, like when you go to the baseball game. So, you know, you go and um, I went to go to use it and I'm going it. But the weird thing is your back is to the whole yard. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to the bathroom and, you know, you can't see behind you and you're in this yard with, you know, like, um, you know, felon, felon, felony, you know, you know, guys that convict, you know, convicted murderers and this and that. And I was in that moment, I was like, Oh my gosh. And then obviously nothing happened. It was okay. When I walked back, one of the guards said, Hey, you know, if you need to use the restroom, come get me and I'll take you. (laughs) That was like kind of eye opening, but, but like I said, we got nothing but great support at San Quentin. And uh, like I said, getting to know the guys, at least the guys that on the basketball team, I truly believe are guys that are honestly and sincerely trying to turn their lives around. And we never felt threatened or uh, anything like that. And uh, so a cool experience for me to, to see that. No, that's great. Well, thanks again for your time. I know how busy you are. So I really appreciate it. It was fun chatting with you, kind of getting to know your journey and uh, stay safe. And hopefully we can meet up one day. You got it, dude. My thanks again to Michael Talasian for joining me. 
You can find him on Twitter at Michael Talasian. And if you haven't seen Once Brothers a Cue Ball yet, make sure you go check it out as soon as you can. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to give us a like or a follow and please share the word with your friends. And last but not least, you can follow me at DocSquad33 on Twitter or at BigChoxy33 on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is your host, Vic Choxy, signing off, and I'll see you next time on Victory Lab.